like that. You want to try Hello, everybody, that. welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all had a fantastic Father's Day weekend. I hope you enjoyed some sports that were on this weekend. And, oh, boy, we are going to talk about some sports that took place this weekend. But before we do all that stuff, let's go over some of the housekeeping items first. Make sure, of course, you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. And you go to LoganBlackmanShow.com. Check out some of our older blog posts. You can check out links to the podcast and some merch that has not been updated in for freaking ever on there as well. But most importantly, make sure you are following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. The only way you know what I'm saying right now is if... You are following and are subscribed or listening, at least, to the podcast. So you clicked on a link on one of the social media platforms or you just happened to stumble across the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If so, welcome. But with that being said, since you are listening, I am giving you content for your ears to enjoy. I think you can you just hit the, 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 the follow or subscribe button. And then leave a rating out of five stars on both as well. It could be a one-star rating or a five-star rating. I would obviously prefer a five-star rating, obviously. But if you feel as compelled to leave a one-star rating or anything less than a five-star rating, just leave a description down below because that shows at least you care. That shows at least you care. That you, like, I, I hate this guy. I hate his voice. I hate this show. I hate what he's talking about. I hate everything about this show, individual show, whatever, the entire show. I'm going to leave a scathing review on the Logan Blackman show on Yelp or on Apple Podcasts, by the way, that works as well. But obviously, again, I would appreciate a five-star rating. But if you don't feel compelled to do so, that's fine. It's a free country. You know, you can do what you want. I don't need to tell you to do it. But I, I can lead you towards that direction. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I had some fun this weekend. I had some fun this weekend. So, of course, this weekend was Father's Day. We did not have a show on Monday. We had a stretch of a nice, a nice little stretch, about a three-week stretch. Where we recorded every single day that we were set to record, like a Monday, Wednesday. We released a show on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for about three weeks in a row. That's pretty damn impressive. Give ourselves a round of applause there. Give you a round of applause if you listen to the show for that long. I don't know if you had or if you did or not. I hope you enjoyed the guests. This is the first show that started a week off that we have not had a guest on. The past two weeks, we had Brady on two weeks ago. We had Justin on last week. I certainly hope you enjoyed those episodes. I did recording them. So, yeah, just go back and listen to those if you haven't already. I would greatly. The only thing that I would say about those two episodes is that the negative about Justin shows that he had Long John Silver's a lot higher on a food, fast food tier list than it definitely should have been, as most people are aware out there. Long John Silver's is complete dog water, complete ass, it's complete everything. Negative connotation you can put towards fast food, that is Long John Silver's. This one was higher than F tier. That's all I need to say about this. That's all I need to say. You know what's bad when a seafood place, let alone a fast food seafood place, their best thing is chicken. They are a fast food place, and their best thing is chicken. Let that let that just sit with you. Just let, let, let that stew with you for a little bit. Now, I haven't had Long John Silver's in years, and I would like to keep it that way. But that was a negative on that one. I don't, there wasn't really a negative to Brady. So I, I, all jokes aside... The episodes are really good. I would recommend you go back and listen to them. A little bit different one with Justin's. We didn't really talk a lot of sports during Justin's episode. We're going to go back into the sports talk for this episode. And the main event that took place this weekend, the United States, we talked about this. We get, we talked about it on Friday's show. 
Because obviously we recorded before the game Thursday night when the United States took on Mexico. The United States won their second straight CONCACAF Nations League Cup final. And again, no more round of applause. No more round of applause. This is the first time the U.S. Soccer, US Soccer Federation's history, at least as I've been made aware, that they have won three CONCACAF trophies in a row. Compared to the rest of the world, the world grand scheme of soccer, the United States have won nine international trophies. That puts them, I believe, fifth across the globe for international trophies. Now some could say, well, you are playing in CONCACAF. You're not playing in the upper echelon of the world. But, hey, you, teams over in Europe are playing teams like Cyprus and Malta and Liechtenstein and Luxembourg. Like They're playing bad teams over there as well. But those places are far less easier to, or far easier to travel to than say going down to Panama or Honduras where it could be a very hostile environment no matter if you're the high you're the better team or not those places can be very very tough place to play now that does not excuse the fact the United States lost to Trinidad and Tobago and a route to the 2018 World Cup because that is not a very you know hostile environment comparatively to the likes of Honduras Panama Costa Rica and Mexico of the course but man it's so fun this tournament like my dad and I were watching the game on Sunday for Father's Day. The game was at 7.30 on Sunday, but the Mexico game was first. So we'll talk about the Mexico game first. They kicked the shit out of Mexico. They kicked the absolute shit out of the Mexican national team. This is a stretch. This is going to be a stretch for the United States, over the Mexican national team, where we could be seeing one of the worst eras of Mexican soccer that we've seen in a very, very long time. Like, even in their game against Panama, they look bad. You could say, arguably, Panama was the better team. Panama had a bicycle kick disallowed for being offsides. Now, to be fair, it was offsides, but it was still sick. They should have still counted it. But the United States just absolutely bodied Mexico in this game. And the last time these two teams played, it was a pretty, you know, drab 1-1 draw. And the, neither team had really their best squad, especially for the United States. You look at the team the United States brought out there. Like, you look at Jesus Ferreira up front, Cade Cowell. This, what the United States had in this game was basically their Cold Cup squad. That's basically the team they had out there. The only player... That started this game, or I guess they're, yeah, the only person that started this game against Mexico, that started the game against Mexico on Thursday, was Serginho Dest. He played left back in this game, but he needed some, like, get some nice minutes under his belt. He had a tough time in Europe this year for AC Milan. He was at Barcelona, got loaned at AC Milan, sat behind David Calabria, who was the captain of AC Milan, and it just so happens, now, this could be a controversial take, there's two players in AC Milan that you would say are their best players, and that's Rafael Liao. Co coincidentally, both play on the left-hand side. Rafael Liao and Teo Hernandez, the left-back. So, Serginho Dest's two options to play are behind the club captain, who's not an amazing player, but he's a club captain nonetheless. And then one, their top two player on the team, and Teo Hernandez, who's the vice captain. Dest was never going to get shot. And not only is Calabria the captain, Calabria is a AC Milan Academy product. So, there's even more skin in the game in that one. Dest is just loaned in there. Now, there's talks from around Europe where Dest's going to go. There's a lot of players for the United States men's national team that will be finding new places to play. A lot of the key players on this United States team will be finding new places, but what was the main thing that was talked about going into this game was the debut of Florian Balogun. This was the debut. And now, in his first game against Mexico, the only notable thing he did was get the shit kicked out of him by Montes, which sparked a whole brawl, which saw Weston McKinney, and Montez, Montez got ejected before, but Weston McKinney getting his jersey ripped, getting ejected from the game, getting a red card there as well for God knows what else. Because they're saying he put his hand on the dude's throat. Weston McKinney's got his, gotten two hands put on his throat 
in the past, what, two of the past however many Mexico games, and no, not even a card was issued. And he comes out with a jersey ripped, and then he gets a red card. So he has to miss out on the final as well. But Balogun, though he didn't get on the score sheet, and though he was very relatively quiet, I think his build-up play was very impressive. I think dropping back deeper was very... That's what got the foul in the first place. He dropped back deep. Like, that's what United States likes in a striker. You see the likes of Josh Sargent doing that quite a bit. Jaisi Zarda has done that. Uh, Jesus Ferreira has done that quite a bit. So Florian Balogun going back, receiving the ball connecting the attack was very cool to see. Though he didn't get it on the score sheet, it was still very nice. See, get his feet under, but it wasn't expecting him to to light the world up. Like, what do you want? What's the phrasing for that? Light the world ablaze in his first game. And not only is it his first game, it's his first game against Mexico, which is the United States' biggest rival. And not only that, it's in a cup competition. So, like, just a normal game gets amplified three more times or two more times. We're talking about some crazy-ass experience for your first ever game for your new national team. Like that, there's going to be a lot of weight on that. And Balogun has played well this year. He played really well for Rams this year. He got uh, 20 goals this season for them. They were a top 10 goal scorer in Europe this past season. He's the U.S. record holder, United States national team record holder for goals scored in a European season. Clint Dempsey, I think, held the record originally with 17. And Balogun had the record for a little bit, but then he announced his allegiance to the United States and he had 19 at the time when he officially broke the record because he was a United States player then. But relatively quiet game, but apart from Balogun, who had, again, a quiet game, the rest of the team absolutely freaking dominated. Absolutely. Pulisic, that is one of the best games Christian Pulisic has ever played for the United States. That is one of the best games, one of the most dominant games. He he was so in, he was so in a zone in this game that during the first brawl, because there were two brawls in the game, we'll get to the second brawl in a little bit, but... The first brawl, Christian Pulisic turned to one of the players and said, who are you? I'm going to Champions League. Who are you? And people could say, well, Christian Pulisic was on the Champions League squad. He didn't do anything in the Champions League final. He didn't even make an appearance in the Champions League final. He was just on the squad. False. Christian Pulisic came in, and not only did he come in, he played from the 66th minute on and beat Manchester City when they were massive underdogs in the game. Like Manchester City, this was like going to be a walk in the park for Man City. But like the unlike the Inter Milan one, where it was, again, supposed to be a walk in the park. And that one, they got outplayed in that one, arguably. Chelsea ended up winning on winning this game. Kai Havertz got the winning goal. Christian Pulisic did not get the winning goal, which is a sad thing. But still, he was a part, and not just on the squad. Again, he contributed to Chelsea winning the Champions League. As much as Chelsea fans want to dispute that, because for whatever reason, they do not like Christian Pulisic. But you see games like this, where he's got the captain's armband on. And I think you could say this for a lot of United States players, because a lot of players, we brought this up on Thursday or on Friday's show before the game, where it's like a lot of players on this team did not have the greatest seasons of all time or what their level is. They don't think they really reached that. Pulisic being one of them. He didn't really do a lot for Chelsea this year. Now, a lot of players for Chelsea didn't do a whole lot this year. I think we brought it up a couple weeks ago when we were doing our Premier League roundup. It was like 13 players were brought in. They spent a record amount of money in one season. Like they spent $100 million on Enzo Fernandez in January. That never happens. Not only that, they did that again on Mudrick. And Mudrick didn't even play in Ukraine's last European <laughs> Euro qualifier game. Like, Pulisic is not one of the main reasons. He didn't have a great season, but he's not one of the main reasons Chelsea were as ass as they were this season. But again, look at players like Tim Weah, who was forced to play at right back at times this season for Lille. You look at Weston McKinney, who had a pretty weird loan spell at uh, Leeds United. Then speaking of other Leeds United players, 
Brennan Aronson kind of dropped off the face of the earth after the second half of the season. Tyler Adams played well before he got hurt, but still. Then you look at Sergio Dest, we brought him up before, sitting behind David Calabria. Not getting a chance there. Not getting a chance at Barcelona. Chris Richard battling injuries, not really playing a lot at, at Crystal Palace this season. Matt Turner's been a backup to, Matt, uh, to Aaron Ramsdale this season, which I'm, I told my dad this the other day. I'm ready to see United States goalies go somewhere else. I'm ready, I'm ready to stop seeing them, you know, keep going to Europe. And I understand the development thing because when you go to Arsenal, you play under Mikel Arteta, it's the same reason that Zach Steffen went to Man City is so you can improve with your feet. You look at Aaron Ramsdale, you look at Ederson, two of the best ball-playing goalies in the world, not just in the Premier League. Ramsdale being a lot younger than Ederson, but I say a lot, he's younger than Ederson. But you're not going to play over them. Ramsdale's England's number two, with a lot of people thinking he should be the number one behind above Jordan Pickford, but Pickford, again, has never really stepped foot wrong for England. He was Everton's best player this season, was massive in them, helping avoid relegation. I know you could say... He was a part of the reason they were getting relegated because he was the goalie for a team that was not very good, and it took him the last day of the season, back-to-back seasons, to avoid relegation. But still, Aaron Jordan Pickford has played very well for England, specifically. He's a captain for Everton. I fully expect him to get a move this summer, whether it's to Tottenham. I've seen him linked to Manchester United as well, so we'll see where that goes. But Stefan's not going to play over Ederson. Never. That's why he got loaned out to Millsbro. And you see Matt Turner, the only time he got to play this year was in cup competitions. I don't know if he gets loaned out anywhere, but... I want to see him play. I want to see him play. And you look to the bench. Luca De La Torre didn't start off great. Started playing a little bit more as the season one. He was a consistent figure in their starting 11. We talk about Brendan Aronson. Then we got other players on the bench. Like, uh, never mind. Not on this exact squad. But there's more of the players on the rest of the squad that weren't in this exact squad, but are registered United States men's national team players. But we're not going to go over all of them. We're not going to be able to go over all of them. But still, these guys dominated this game. Pulisic looked electric as hell. Tim Weah, we said this going into the World Cup, Tim Weah offers so much to the United States men's national team because he's the most direct winger. And this is crazy to say that he's a former striker. When he first broke into the United States men's national team, he was a striker. And then predominantly played on the left wing if he wasn't playing striker. Because they had at the time, so it was going to be hard for him to break past Jaiassi's artists because he was considered one of, quote-unquote, Greg's guys. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Tim Weah is so direct. His speed down the line, his, he got the assist for Pulisic's second goal of the game. Pulisic should have arguably had a hat trick. Should have arguably had a hat trick. Sent one over the bar early on in the game when he schooled a bunch of, dribbled past a bunch of players. Maybe should have dropped it off to Balogun. Who the hell knows? But it's easy saying that sitting here. Pulisic played great. Weya played great. Giovanni Reina was electric in this game. Jonas Musa played great. Miles Robinson. It's so nice to have Miles Robinson back. So nice to have Miles Robinson back. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the game against Pan- against Canada. And then later on in the game, Antti Robinson did a great job as well. But Dest gets caught with a red card, essentially. So Edson Alvarez and Sergio Dest played at Ajax together. <laughs> and Edson Alvarez, and there's pictures all over the internet of them hugging, scoring after goals and stuff like that. And I know in the heat of the moment, things can go a little bit crazy, especially when you're in a rivalry game like United States-Mexico. And for Edson Alvarez where your team's getting absolutely schlacked by the United States, it with a pretty predominantly Mexican crowd in Vegas, tensions can rise a little bit, and Des got caught on that one. Des got an assist as well. Beautiful. Beautiful. Pa- oh, wait, no, 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 no. Yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, hold up. Wait a minute. Yeah, the pass to, no, that, yeah, Des's pass was to Ricardo Pepe, who scored later in the game. But it's nice to see Pepe scoring as well. 
Nice to see him back in the squad. Which is crazy to think before the World Cup, like three months before the World Cup, you've seen it's crazy to see Pepe in the squad. Because he wasn't scoring for Augsburg. And then he gets loaned to Gron again, and he's scoring at freaking will. He's going to go to PSV, it looks like, maybe Feyenoord. He's, gonna, he's going back to the Netherlands. Because remember, he was on loan at Gron again from Augsburg. But the dude's on freaking fire. And him and Balogun, I'm excited. This is the first time I've ever felt su- super, supremely confident in the United States striker position. Because we brought up Josie Altador, but once Josie Altador got injured or something, the United States striker options were null and void. Like when he got hurt in the 2014 World Cup in that first game against Ghana. He got hurt in like the first 20 minutes of the game. Who was his backup? Aaron Johansson. Chris Wondolowski. Like, Chris Wondolowski, great goal scorer in the MLS, but could never put it all together in the international stage. And Aaron Johansson, much like mixed Diskarud, never saw the field for the United States pretty much any time after the World Cup. It was a weird time. Very weird time. But now we have depth. Balogun. Pepe. They're fantastic. And you know, I've been bringing up the likes of Daryl DK and players like that. Josh Sargent, players we brought up before. But those two are awesome. Those two are awesome. But Dest's pass to, to Pepe was beautiful as well. But Dest gets caught like it's a very he's a very emotional player, which a lot of these players in the United States are. You saw that at the World Cup a lot, and that comes with being a it, you could give the acronym like young and dumb. Or not acronym, but saying young and dumb. Like they don't know any better. They're very young, so they're very feisty. This team will fight with anybody. West McKinney gets his jersey ripped. He starts kissing the, kissing the badge in front of the Mexican fans. You see Christian Pulisic pumping up the crowd. You see it against England in the World Cup. You saw it against Mexico and Canada. You see Giovanni Reina getting shoved to the ground after breaking his nose, getting up to the crowd after getting fouled again, and pumping up the crowd. You see Des pumping up the crowd. Like, this team fights. And that's what I loved about this team. That's what I love about this team. The players individually. In this, they were so attacking, so fluid. That was what the most fun part about this was. And then after the game, which we kind of talked about on Friday before the game started. And it, it was such convincing timing to have this happen. Because th- this was something that no one really wanted. We talked about it at length on Friday's show. But after the game, the United States won 3-0 against, against Mexico again. Pool 6 scored 2. You saw Ricardo Pepe scored the other one. Great game. Absolutely dominating game embarrassed Mexico absolutely embarrassed them after the game they announced Greg Berhalter's returning as head coach this is one of the most like and I said this during the before the game but on our show Thursday or on Friday this is just reeking of settling absolutely reeks of settling there were numerous times throughout the World Cup where they got absolutely outcoached and we have seen what this team did against Mexico with B.J. Callen, I understand he's an interim coach, but they embarrassed Mexico. And that's that's putting it lightly. I understand Greg Berhalter beat Mexico three times in the calendar years. The first time that's ever happened. But again, this is a stretch in the Mexican national team where we are going to see some very, very bad soccer. It's going to not be a very fun time. They're going to have to figure out the goalie. Memo Ochoa is 37 years old. They got to figure it out. <laughs> they, got some, they got some things to figure out there. But so stagnant. My dad said this against game against Canada. He's never seen them play like this. Like that game against Canada. They won two nothing. They could have won a hundred to nothing. Canada won possession, but that was pretty much all they had the entire game. We'll talk about that game real quick too, I guess. But that game against Canada, another dominating game. And this was without Sergio Des, without Weston McKinney, two of the best, most important players on the team. Not just from a skill standpoint, from a leadership standpoint as well. 
And the lineup that B.J. Callahan puts out for the game is insanely attacking. You're going with a, a 4-3-3 and a midfield three of Musa, Sitting, Aronson, and Reyna. Everybody and their mom thought Luca De La Torre was going to start this game. We're going to have a double pivot again like we did against Mexico. You're going to see that in the game against Canada. Luca De La Torre and Yunus Musa. Aronson coming off the bench. They announced this squad. I sent this to Noah. I was like, dude, they could score like eight goals this game. This is attacking as hell. There were some people that had mixed feelings about it. But I, for one, was really excited for it. I was like, you never see this team attacking. I've never seen this forward, much of a forward-thinking, literally, forward-thinking lineup. And you look at a guy like Yunus Musa. For Valencia, he does not play as a holding midfielder. He doesn't even play as a central midfielder. He plays off the right. Valencia played predominantly a 4-4-2 formation. He plays off the right. And he's playing as a holding midfielder for the United States. And he had one of his best games for the United States. Dude was awesome in this game. And speaking of best games for the United States, Giovanni Reina. What a freaking game. What a game Giovanni Reina had. Pulisic was a lot more quiet in this game. But Giovanni Reina was immense in this game. And I think what the best part about this formation, and it, I heard uh, Roy Keane talking about this. For, for those who don't know, Roy Keane played for Manchester United in the 90s and 2000s. He was the captain of the team that won the 99 champions, the treble. He wasn't the captain in the game. Peter Schmeichel was the captain during the game because Roy Keane got suspended. Same with Paul Scholes. So they were without those two. But those two players, Roy Keane and Paul Scholes, they played in a 4-4-2 back then, which is what everybody played until... Like, apart from, like, Barcelona and the Dutch national team, that was about it that played anything other than a 4-4-2. Especially abroad. Like, if you're just talking about specifically in England, everybody's playing a 4-4-2. And then Germany, you've got, like, sweepers and stuff. But Keane and Scholes, in a two-man midfield, you have to have that awareness. You have to have that knowledge that I'm going to press forward, you stay back. Or you're going to press, I'll stay back. And you saw that in this game. When you have a team that's that attacking with players like Aronson and Reyna and Musa, who are not mainly known for their defensive capabilities, they were all super smart in knowing that, hey, Reyna's attacking, Aronson drops back. Oh, Aronson attacking, well, Reyna will drop back. And the, the fluidity with Pulisic and Reyna on that left wing, where Pulisic would tuck in, Reyna would overlap him on the left side, or he would tuck in, Pulisic would play back on the outside. Like, they were so fluid. Everything was so awesome in this game. And then they tried to attack the left-hand side, and Antti Robinson, this is what we talked about before. Antti Robinson and Sergio Dest are not, like, the most insane defenders, per se, in the world. But for what they lack in natural defending, they make up for in trackback speed. They are great going forward, but they will hold their ass back and make sure you don't get anything on them. Now, Robinson got caught out in the World Cup against the Netherlands. Obviously not ideal, but in this game against Canada, he played really well. He was always on the back post. Always on the back post. And Miles Robinson not being in this game, like the United States is so much better with Miles Robinson in defense. Like he's awesome. Miles Robinson and Chris Richards, that is a great center back partnership. And Chris Richards scoring his first goal, and then we talk about Balogun not getting his goal against Mexico, scored in this game. The corner from Reyna, I have seen I haven't seen a set piece goal for the United States in freaking years. I think the last set piece goal that I can remember well, you have the gold cup final where anti or Kellen Acosta chipped it in to Miles Robinson for the win against Mexico there but other than that the last like uh set piece goal that I can think of is when Clint Dempsey scored in the gold cup I think it was the gold cup it might have been qualifying ah oh, crap what game was it? it was a free kick 
But if not that, the only other one I could think of other than that, this was before this, was John Brooks scoring a corner in the World Cup with Graham Zuzzi crossing it in. That's how long it's been. Graham Zuzzi was a part of the national team when they against Ghana on that first game of the 2014 World Cup. The game we brought up earlier, Josie Alto are leaving after the first 20 minutes. Like, the United States does not score set on set pieces. And you would think that you'd have the height advantage over a lot of these teams, but they just, they, for whatever reason, they can't score set pieces. And that's one of the things Clint Dempsey talked about before the game against Canada because they had a Gochi Anieu on the game who was a C, uh, some upper management spot with the United States Soccer Federation. I can't remember what exactly he is. But talk about rehiring Greg and all the different people they're going to bring in. Clint was like, well, I remember them hiring a set-piece specialist coach and they never scored these set-pieces. It's like, yeah, fair. And that's why I liked Clint calling it out. I, li- I liked them actually going, this is freaking stupid. But we're going to stick back with the game. Stick back with the game. But Balgan scored. Reyna was immense. Tim Weah played well. Scaly played really well. Like, Alfonso Davies. And we brought this up on Friday. Alfonso Davies is probably the best player in CONCACAF. Probably the best player in CONCACAF. I know a lot of United States fans say Christian Pulisic. And you have an argument with that. But Alfonso Davies is insane. Alfonso Davies, his speed, his electricity... His way to just, his dribbling abilities is great. Again, he's not an insane defender. He's not a natural defender. He's brought to Bayern Munich to play as a winger. So a lot of the teams he plays, like in the national team, he plays a wing back. Bayern Munich, he plays left back. But they have Lucas Hernandez or somebody playing that left center back so they can track for him and kind of shift the formation. You see Bayern Munich's formation, normally, when players are healthy, it's like you got Benjamin Pavard, you got Matthias DeLict, Lucas Hernandez, and then Alfonso Davies. Normally. Normally, obviously injuries took place this year, but normally that's how it works out. So you have Alfonso Davies bombing forward, and then you have Pavard, DeLict, and Hernandez all shifting to create kind of a back three. Alfonso Davies allowed that freedom to go forward. And when you're playing in a back five with Kennedy, is a little more of that freedom. And they, there were times where they tried to six, six Leira and Davies on the exact same side, both on the left-hand side, or right-hand side for Canada, I guess. But there was times Davies just was doing it all by himself. Jonathan David was nothing there. Kyle Laren, nothing there. Eustachio, nothing there. Osario, nothing there. There's really nothing Canada could do in this game. Like, even with, they would get balls in the box. No, there was not one fear that I had here. Not one fear. This is another dominating performance without two of your, three of your best players. Miles Robinson included in there as well. Like, this team looks good. And that's the sad part. <laughs> that's the sad part. The United States won this tournament three five nothing. Matt, and this is the crazy thing. Matt Turner, I heard this on the broadcast. Matt Turner has played twenty eight games for the United States. He has eighteen clean sheets. I don't know if I misheard that or not, but that's insane nonetheless. That's insane nonetheless. If that's true or not, I would like to believe it's true. So I'm going to present it as truth. So that's what we're going to do. But they were so attacking. Everything was so fluid. Everything Greg Berhalter's teams were not, this is what this team was. And the fact that you're going to have to go back from watching this team to watching rigid Greg Berhalter ball and watch some stupid-ass MLS players that don't deserve to play. Shaq Moore played over Joe Scaly in the World Cup. And I, I've, Again, I watched Shaq Moore score against Canada. I was there in Kansas City when he scored in the Gold Cup last year. I have my respect for Shaq Moore. But Joe Scaly's better. And he showed that in this game. This is the first start for the United States where I, th- I believe this is his first start for the United States where he's actually gotten to play at right back. Because for whatever reason, Greg Berhalter exclusively saw him as left back. We talked about before the World Cup. We talked about it after. We understood at the time where it was like, hey, th- for Greg's purposes, not for what I believe, but 
Gray believes Joe Staley is a left back or wanted to play him as a left back. So when he has players coming at right back, he wants Shaq Moore to come in. So they brought four right backs with the idea of Joe Scaly being an emergency backup to Andy Robinson. But even then, I'm not even sure he wouldn't just bring Yedlin on and move Dest to left back. I don't think Scaly would have gotten any minutes if Robinson would have gotten hurt. If I'm being 100% honest, looking back at it, because he loves those MLS players. And there's nothing wrong with loving MLS players, but when you're benching players that are superior to said MLS players, then we've got some problems here. Like, when you look at the battle between Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe, you look at the form Ricardo Pepe is, and at the time, it didn't look like uh, Haji Wright was going to make it. It looked like it was going to be Pepe, Ferreira, and Sargent. But then it turns out, per reports, that was a battle between Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira, the the old FC Dallas teammates, and Daryl Deke, or uh, was it Pfock? Yeah, Pfock and Haji Wright. Those were the two battles there, and Josh Sargent was pretty much on the squad which surprised the hell out of me at the time. But even then, you look back at that and you're like, Ricardo Pepe should have been there. And I talked about it before. Three months before the World Cup, that would have been seen as crazy. He wasn't scoring. But then once he started scoring, you're like, okay, he's better than Jesus Ferreira. And we've seen it in recent games. And you look at a player like Giovanni Reina. Giovanni Reina played seven minutes in the first game. He chalked, I think, less minutes, at least in the first game, than Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris being brought on over Giovanni Reina is a damn crime against humanity. And you can go back, and I think we talked about during the World Cup, where it's like, I understand to a certain extent because he's a little more direct. He's a striker that can move over to winger when he could just play striker in general. But that's another thing of comfortability, and that's the problem that a lot of these people have with the United States. This is the best squad they've probably ever had. They're missing two of their best players in Tyler Adams and Tim Reed. This is one of the best squad. I said this as the squad got announced. This is one of the best squads the United States has ever had. This squad is better than the World Cup squad. And again, I understand the likes of Miles Robinson and Chris Richards couldn't attend the World Cup because of injuries. But this squad's still better. The squad is still better. It trumps that. And Giovanni Reina showed it. Like, Giovanni Reina, I mean, for most people out there, we've already kind of known this. Giovanni Reina's a top five player for the United States. I mean, most people understand that at this point. Like, the top five players for most people out there, and you can include you can include Balogun in this if you want, based off form for club, but the majority would be the likes of Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Giovanni Reyna, and then you're throwing in somebody like Weah, Musa, Dest could be mentioned in there, Matt Turner could be mentioned in there, Aronson at times could be mentioned in there, and Balogun and Pepe. There's a lot of players you can mention in there, but those are the main ones. Tim Ream, uh, Tim Ream's probably at number five, based off current form. But Giovanni Reina, he was one of the best players in this tournament. He was easily the best player on the field against Canada before he got hurt. Easily, he only played a half. He played a half in this game. And he did more in this game than a lot of players did that were brought to the World Cup that should not have been there, ever, for the United States. I'm including, like, Jordan Morris. When has he ever had moments for the United States like Giovanni Reina had in those 45 minutes against Canada? When has he ever had moments like that? When has Jesus Ferreira ever, I don't know, they understand, I understand they play different positions, but Greg Brothers played Giovanni Reina as a false nine and as a winger. Like, most people out there, again, understand Giovanni Reina's best position is at a number 10 spot. 
Will Gray Berhalter play him at number 10? And this is a good thing and a bad thing to have these lineup conundrums because you're going to have to decide who starts. Because you got four very capable midfielders there. Reyna, Musa, McKinney, Tyler Adams when he's back in healthy. Tyler Adams is the captain. So you're going to play Adams, but who's going to play if Reyna plays at the 10? Is it going to be Musa or McKinney? That's an argument for another day, but right now Giovanni Reyna played his ass off. And now Burhalter's coming back. And then they had his opening press conference, and Burhalter's like, yeah, I haven't talked to Stefan, Pepe, or Reyna since the World Cup. Why? At least give him a debriefing after the World Cup. Like, try to, you know, patch the wounds a little bit. Giovanni Reyna is one of the, again, one of the best players in the in the ML, or not the ML, one of the best players in the United States. I understand you don't get along with his dad or his parents or whatever, but like Christian Pulisic said at the time, this is some youth soccer stuff. Play the best players. That's the main thing here. Play the best players. There's no reason looking back in hindsight and saying you couldn't have beaten Wales, you couldn't have beaten England, you couldn't beat Iran by more. And who's to say you couldn't have taken the Dutch to extra time? You got caught out twice and didn't make any changes the entire game. Haji Wright's goal is a goal that he'll never score again. That 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 style of goal. I'm not saying he's never going to score a goal again, but that way he scored. That's one of the luckiest goals he's ever scored in his life. Like, after watching this tournament, and again, it's only two games, but after watching this, I am not looking forward to Gray Berhalter ball. It's rigid. It's defensive. It's not exciting. It's safe. That's the main issue. And then the United States Soccer Federation. We've had problems with the United States Soccer Federation for years. It's an incompetent-run organization. Everybody's known this. And Craig Burley on ESPN FC laid in, laid in to the United States Soccer Federation. Like, this managerial hiring process is one of the dumbest things. We brought this up at the end of Friday's show. We're talking about things that sound fake but are true. I remember those old fact things. One of the facts we brought up is that the Cleveland Browns spent $100,000 on the draft to tell some, or to, to an independent firm to tell them who the best quarterback in the draft was, and they said it was Teddy Bridgewater, and guess who they drafted? Johnny Manziel. You spent X amount of dollars to go and find a new coach, and you ended up just bringing back the same guy. If you're going to do this all along, why not just bring him back? Why go through all of this stuff Toying the idea, oh, they could get someone good. They could get someone exciting. You see how rigid and how bad they are away from home? Like, they could do something here, and then you they don't. They just don't. Kroger's hiring process used data model based on, pre- pre- on pressing metrics, team age, and on-field performance, and other factors to identify candidates. He mentioned Bearhalter, quote, pretty much set the data model during the previous World Cup cycle. So you were just looking to hire a guy that was Greg Berhalter. So everything they said this entire offseason, post-World Cup, has been nothing but bullshit. It's just smoke up everybody's ass, and it's frustrating as hell. Which is a curious note to add, while the Federation attempts to convince the public that Berhalter was the best possible candidate for the job by using at least some of Berhalter's time in the U.S. as a measuring stick, there's little surprise Berhalter measured up to his own stick. Yeah, obviously. That's 100% accurate. 100% accurate. 
And after watching this team under P.J. Callahan, again, I understand there was probably a one a 0.1% chance P.J. Callahan got this job, but this team looked so good. They looked better than they have in freaking forever. And I'm not saying it has to be B.J. Callen, but it's just so, like, going back to watching what that team was was just so frustrating. Like, you could be so much better. You could have won the group with nine points. Instead, you scraped through with five. Or no, with five. With freaking, yeah, five. Two draws and a win. When you could have had nine, you should have beaten England. You should have beaten Wales. You could have dominated Iran. Like, there's so many things that you could have differently, but you're bringing back the same exact guy. Like, maybe Jesse Marsh would have been different. Maybe Patrick Vieira would have been different. It might not have been better, but at least, you know what? It could have been different. It could have been. And some people go, like, it might not. Like, like I just said, it might not be better. Grass isn't always greener. But yeah, sometimes it's a lot greener. Sometimes when the grass is already dead, it can only get greener from there. And I don't want to make this sound like I think Burhalter, and I, I know how I'm making this sound because I'm frustrated. But Burhalter's not a, quote, bad coach. He's not a bad coach. But when you go through all this offseason, knowing you're going to hire him back, when you're measuring people up to Greg Burhalter, it's frustrating as hell. This team is so much better than what they showed at the World Cup. And that's a World Cup where they outplayed England. A top however top five team in the world. But the FIBA World Rankings are kind of bullshit because of the fact Belgium's been number one forever. And I don't know where Belgium ranks now, but they shouldn't have been number one going into the World Cup. We said that at the time, we're saying it now. Like all, I saw this tweet just a little bit ago. I'm open to liking Greg Berlder. He does the following. One, called up the best players, not his buddies. Which is something that he's always done. That's what we. There's been a phrase called Greg's guys since he took over. You look at the team that went to the World Cup. Like Paul Ariola didn't go to the World Cup, but he was one of Greg's guys. Sebastian Legette played the most minutes in, I think, 2021 under Greg Berhalter. Same with Paul Ariola. And both were joint captains for the Gold Cup team. You look at Jayassi Zardes for a few years was a Greg's guy. Aaron Long is one of Greg's guys for whatever reason. Walker Zimmerman's one of Greg's guys, but Walker Zimmerman is better than Aaron Long by quite a wide margin. Shaq Moore. Then you look at Jordan Morris, Jesus Ferreira. Like, there are players that are weren't even on the squad that are better than those players. Now, again, Legette, Ariola didn't make the squad. But the snakiness of a lot of this stuff, like not taught, like like Ariola missing out, Legette missing out. Not saying that they should have been the squad, but Stefan missing out, Pepe missing out. Like how he managed those situations, it's bullshit. And play the best eleven, not force MLS players on the team. Yeah, play the best eleven. The United States best eleven at this point in time is Matt Turner and Net. You got Dest at right back, Robinson at left back. You got a center back partnership, and you can rotate this. Your best three center backs are Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, and Tim Ream. Those are your best three center backs. Tim Ream would start on the left, and probably Chris Richards on the right, just based off what he did in the goal this this past tournament, scoring his first goal for his country. But Miles Robinson, it's about 50 50 there. Midfield, Tyler Adams is going to be there. 
And you got Musa or McKinney on the other side. You got Reyna at the 10. You got uh, Weya and Pulisic on the wings. You got Balogun or Pepe up top. No MLS players. The only, well, the only MLS player there is Miles Robinson. Walker Zimmerman's not in there. Shaq Moore's not in there. Jordan Morris is not in there. Jesus Ferreira is not in there. If we're building a squad for the 2023, 2026 World Cup, and this is just like who the best players are, and I'm doing this on the fly. I didn't think I was going to do this. So in net, you're bringing Turner, you're bringing Horvath, and then just for fun, you're bringing Gaga Salina. That's who you're bringing there. Those are your goalies. Zach Steffen can have a say there. Sean Johnson can have a say there. But Horvath and Turner are the two best goalies currently. And hopefully Horvath moves to Luton Town permanently so he can be their starter there because he deserves to be there. And you're looking at, we talk about Serginho Dest. We talk about Joe Scaly, two right backs. Center backs, you've got Robinson. And I'm not doing this in any, like, any particular order apart from positions of the first players that come to my head. Richards, Ream, and then probably Carter Vickers is the next one. And you got Robinson. This is what the best ones off the top of my head are again. So Adams, McKinney, Musa, Aronson, Reyna. Who else is in there that I'm forgetting? De La Torre. Then we've got Weya. We've got Pulisic. We've got Balogun. We've got Pepe. And am I forgetting anybody like Zendejas will be in there? Then who else was in this squad? Who else was in this squad? I feel like I'm forgetting some people here. Austin Trusty could be mentioned in there as well. How many people do I have on this team right now? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So we need two more players. We need two more players. Who would be... I don't know. Like... Would you put in Johnny Cardoso? Would you put him in as a Tyler Adams backup? Would he be your Tyler Adams backup? That's probably where I'm leaning right now. Yeah, I think that's your direction we're going. Malik Tillman could definitely get a shout in there as well, but he's not for the defensive midfielder option anyways. He could definitely get in there. Probably Johnny. That's what we're looking at there, so Johnny... That's what I would guess. I mean, there's that one's kind of splitting hairs there. And then for the are you looking at a backup left back? Are you looking at another winger? Are you looking at another striker? Are you bringing three strikers to the squad? Because right now we got two right backs, four center backs, one left back, two defensive midfielders. We've got four or five midfielders. You got four wingers or three four three or four wingers, because Aaronson can go a midfielder on the wing, and then two strikers. So do you want to throw in, like, John Tolkien in there from New York Red Bulls? Do you want to throw him in there as an option? He's going to move to Europe at some point. I don't know exactly when that's going to take place, but he's definitely going to be up there somewhere. So John Tolkien at left back. So right there, just comparatively to this squad, to, and that's if we're including Tolkien. This squad, compared to the World Cup squad, this squad has two MLS players. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm hating on the MLS, but the best players for the United States, sorry to tell you, don't play in the MLS. They don't. The United States is young in the world of soccer. There are teams, uh, pretty much every team, major team in Europe, where a lot of these players are at, are older than the MLS. 
We're not there yet. The MLS is 25 years old. I think the MLS will grow significantly with Lionel Messi coming in, but we're not there yet, developly wise. All these players, apart from you know a couple like Bal- the Balligans out there or the Anti Robinsons or someone like that, started from an MLS team and moved over to Europe, and all have developed tenfold of what they are now. You look at Horvath was at New England Revolution, or uh, Turner was at New England Revolution, Solanina was at Chicago Fire. Look at Joe Scaley was at NYCFC. Look at Miles Robinson at Atlanta United. He's going to go to Europe at some time. Chris Richards was FC Dallas. Tim Ream was – where was Tim Ream? I know he played for Bolton for years, but where did Tim Ream start off at? Oh, New York Red Bulls. New York Red Bulls, okay. Carter Vickers, we got Tolkien, we got Red Bulls. Tyler Adams, Red Bulls. Uh, McKinney FC Dallas. Aronson, Philadelphia. Reyna, New York City FC. De La Torre. I just remember him at Fulham. Where did he start off at? Uh, he was just always at Fulham. That's where he started his youth career. Uh, and then we got Pulisic, move over to Dortmund early. Pepe at FC Dallas, but all have moved overseas. They get extra coaching over there. They get better coaching over there. I'm not saying this is perfect. We did this squad in like 30 seconds. So this stuff that's at the top of my head, but this squad right here is a million times better than the World Cup squad. Is this a squad Berhalter would pick? No, never. He'd never pick a squad like this. That's the frustrating part. The squad that we saw play against Canada and Mexico, we'd never, we'll never see performances like that in regards to being that attacking. So it's going to be scary, but BJ Callahan is taking over for the Gold Cup squad, which is coming up, actually, which I wasn't really aware of this. I knew the Gold Cup was happening this summer, but <laughs> I didn't think it was happening this weekend. So the show's coming out on the 21st. The tournament starts on the 24th, so Saturday. Like we've, we're, we're just getting started here. we got the United States versus Jamaica on Saturday. In the United States, they just released their squad numbers for everything. So, again, for those of you who forgot what the squad was, this is numerical order as well, 1 through 23. Got Matt Turner, DeAndre Yedlin, Aaron Long, Matt Miazga, Brian Reynolds, Gianluca Busio, Alan Sonoria, Sonora, James Sands, Jesus Ferreira, Christian Roldan, Cade Cole, sorry, Miles Robinson, Jordan Morris, Jordi Mihailovic, Dewan Jones, Aiden Morris, Alex Zendejas, Sean Johnson, Brandon Vasquez, Jalen Neal, John Tolkien, Julian Gressel, and Gaga Slonina. Now, the starting lineup that I would expect for this squad, Matt Turner's in net. I would love to see Gaga Slonina in net. I would love to see that. I don't think there's a chance in hell that happens, but it'd be really cool to see. Just to give him some opportunities. Matt Turner, when he started the Gold Cup in 2021, he had one appearance to his name. Like He had one appearance, so... Maybe it happens. I don't think it does, but again, anything can happen. I would love to see Brian Reynolds start. I would imagine it's going to be DeAndre Yedlin starting. We're probably going to see a center back partnership of Aaron Long and Miles Robinson. Uh, John Tolkien at left back is what I would expect as a back four. But Brian Reynolds, I think he's insanely talented. He went over to Roma for FC Dallas. He's been on loan a few times, but never actually caught footing there. I kind of forgot he existed, to be 100% honest with you. But DeAndre Yedlin's got an like 80 caps, which is weird, but he'll probably start there. Then you're looking at a midfield. We start with the midfield. We go 4-3-3, probably. James Sands or Busio is the holding midfielder there. Roldan will probably start. And then uh, Jordi Mihailovic, would he start there? Would he start in the midfield? Will Sonora start? Sonora start? 
I mean, I'm fairly confident with James Sands and Chris Roldan starting. I'm fairly confident with that. I'm confident with Jordan Moore starting off the left. I'm fairly confident with Jesus Ferreira starting. Well, I should. Well, the last time when the United States played Mexico, we saw a that this front three that we saw, or that could start in the Gold Cup, we saw against Mexico with Ferreira up top, Cade Cole at the ten, Morris on the left, and then Brandon Vasquez on the or Morris on the right, Brandon Vasquez on the left. So maybe we see that again. But Alex Dejas, I don't think was was Alex Dejas on this team. He was not. Alex Dejas was not on this team. So Alex Dejas, I would imagine starts. He's one of the most talented players the United States has in the squad. So I would imagine he starts off the right. So Morris on the left, Cowell as a ten possibly. So you see James Stanton, and Christopher Roldan as the holding midfielders. Cowell in midfield as a ten, and then either Ferreira or Vasquez up top, or Ferreira plays at a ten. Ferreira has been no he. Going into the World Cup, a lot of people love saying he's not a true striker, so maybe he plays as number 10. But I'm not really, like, going, again, this squad's relatively weak compared to the squad we just saw. So we saw a squad that's better than the World Cup squad, now we're going to this squad, which is relatively weak again, Gold Cup stuff. But it's still better than a lot of teams at the Gold Cup. There's just one or two that could challenge them, like really challenge them. I think one of them is Jamaica. Jamaica always is a spur in the United for the United States. And Andre Blake, one of the best goalies in the MLS, if not the best goalie in the MLS, one of the best goalies in CONCACAF. Got a rivalry going between him and Matt Turner probably. Memo Ochoa's obviously got some skin in the game there as well. Give his performances at World Cups and stuff. But you look at this team. They just released their squad the other day. They just released their squad the other day. It's not popping up on Wikipedia for whatever reason, which is pissing me off because this is not the squad that they had because <laughs> they're missing some... Very key players here. Do they... Ah, oh crap. Jamaica... What would their... What is their, like, national team name? Gold Cup. Maybe that pops it up. So I want to read the whole squad. Okay, here we go. Here's the squad. So, you got Andre Blake in net. But then you get up a little bit further up the field. You got Degatorva Reed... De Deck... Deck or Dova Reed. Sorry. Decador Reeve, I, okay, whatever. <laughs> then you got Mikel Antonio, Leon Bailey, and then you got Damari Gray, who just switched nationalities from England to Jamaica a couple weeks ago. This is his first call-up. We already know how talented Leon Bailey is. Leon Bailey, if I remember correctly, did not play against the United States last time these two teams met in the Gold Cup because of an injury. So we were doing our Gold Cup preview videos there. But this team's strong. Jamaica's got a very strong team. That Ravel Morrison could get called up. Is Ravel Morrison getting called up to the squad? Ravel Morrison's made 18 appearances for Jamaica. Good Lord, he plays for DC United as well. Makes sense. I didn't know that. <laughs> Makes sense, though. But Jamaica's got a strong team. Jamaica's got a very, very strong team. So we'll see how, all the, how well they do, but that's going to be a challenge for the United States. It's going to be a very big challenge. And they're in the United States group. So the United States will have to deal with them early on. That's the first game of the tournament for the United States against Jamaica. That's going to be a good game. That's going to be a good game. And then you got Mexico. I haven't seen what Mexico's squad looks like. Did they have their squad released? Players follow the name for the Gold Cup. Oh. Oh, the Mexico fired their coach like, right after their win against Panama. He managed for seven games. He managed for seven games. Is this the squad? Following players with the names of the squad? So they're bringing up the same squad that they had for the Nations League. Is that that's what I'm looking at here? They had the same exact squad, which 
comparatively is a pretty strong squad compared to the other teams of the Gold Cup, I would guess. Canada's going to have a decently strong team as per usual, like for Gold Cup standards with Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, and all those guys, Kyle Aaron. But Jamaica's going to be the underdog one. That's a team that could definitely challenge here because the only three teams that ever won the Gold Cup are the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And Canada's only won one of them. So it's going to be some challenges this year. The squad's not the greatest squad, but again, it's good enough to win this tournament, which is sad but cool at the same time. But yeah, I'm excited for the Gold Cup. I'll, I'll see if we get our videos done. We'll try to get those videos out again. We've done them for two straight Gold Cups. Might as well try for three, right? Might as well try. But man, summer tournaments are fun. Now we got the Copa America next year. So that's the tournament that everybody's really going to be looking forward to. It's in the United States again. Which is always fun. Because, you know, that's how that's how it should be in the, in the United States. So, yeah, June 20th to July 14th in 2024. United States is in that. So, we'll see a strong squad for that. There will be a very strong squad for that one. Well, I don't know. This isn't, it doesn't have them filled in yet. But the United States will be in this. United States, they're, host, they're the host country. They have to be in it. <laughs> Oh, United States, despite being host, will not qualify automatically. But they'll they, and not knock on wood, of course. But they should qualify. One would expect, right? One would expect. But um, I noticed this in the in the Gold Cup stuff. Uh, Qatar is back in the Gold Cup. Hopefully, they have a better showing there than they did the World Cup. But we'll go to another Middle Eastern country, another Asian country, in the form of Saudi Arabia. They are like. Remember a couple years ago when the Chinese Super League trying to start tried to take over when you saw the likes of Alex Teixeira go there instead of Liverpool and AC Milan? You'd see Oscar leaving Chelsea, got Ramirez going over there. A lot of big or decently big name players going there. Hulk went over there. Axel Witzel went over there. Marwan Fellaini went over there. There were a lot of decent players that went over to China, and everybody's like, oh, this is gonna be interesting. But that's pretty much dead in the water at this point. No one's going there anymore. It's done. But a lot of those players, none of them were, like, world stars. That was, like, if they can get a world star, then we're going to be a little bit scared here. And now we've got the Saudi Arabia. we got Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Pro League. We have got some world beaters going to the Saudi Arabia, going to the Saudi Pro League. And some might be older. Some might be older. But there was a move the other day that got me really, like, oh, okay, this is legit. So we got Kareem Benzema, obviously, going there. We got Ronaldo over there as well. Uh... Then you've got, like, the Golo Conte's going over there. Khalidou Koulibaly's been linked. Hakim Ziyech has been linked. Edward Mendy's been linked. Bernardo Silva. Ilkay Gundogan. Saul Niguez from Atletico Madrid's been linked. Marcel Brozovic. Sergio Busquets, he's going. It sounds like he's going to enter Miami. I think I saw that today. Wilfred Zaha. Neymar have all been linked with Saudi Arabia. Like, I don't remember people being this many people being linked to China when this was a thing. But one that's really kind of moved me was Ruben Neves going. He's going to Al-Halal for $60 million, $60 million from Wolves. This guy captained Porto, his childhood team, in the Champions League at 18. He was the youngest captain in their team's history. And he has been linked with Liverpool. He's been linked with Man United. Hell, a few weeks ago, he was linked with the move to Barcelona. I understand Barcelona may not have all the money in the world, but... He's still linked to these big clubs. And he's going to Saudi Arabia. I don't know how much he's getting paid, but this is one move that's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. This dude's 26. This dude is 26 years old. And I understand. Like, 
This is one of those situations, again, where it's don't hate the player, hate the game. If you get offered that kind of money, and again, I don't know what, what specific money he's getting offered, but I assume it's ridiculous. You got to take it. It's hard to say no to those kind of things. It's hard to say because this is not just like generational wealth. This is generational wealth times 100. That's what this stuff is. Like you look, look what Kareem Benzema is getting paid. Erling Holland just signed a massive ass deal with Man City today or yesterday or whatever it was. But these guys are getting paid a lot of money to play in the Saudi Arabian Pro League. Joining Ronaldo there. Ale- uh, Anderson Taliska, who's another guy who went over to China. He was at Bashi- he was at Benfica, got loaned to the Besiktas, and then went over to China. He was linked with Manchester United for a few years. Now he's playing with Ronaldo on <laughs> this year. But again, Angolo Conte sounds like he's going to be joining. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, he is. He is. He's joining Kareem Benzema there. But they've got a lot of Ballon d'Ors over there. They got Kareem Benzema just winning the Ballon d'Or. So this is the crazy thing. So Kareem Benzema just won the Ballon d'Or, and he's going to El Etihad this summer. Lionel Messi just won the World Cup. May also win the Ballon d'Or this year. He could become the first ever player in MLS history to win a Ballon d'Or. Hey, he's going to the MLS. Like, this is some crazy-ass times we're in right now. So now we're going to have an arms race of who's the best player in Europe, Kylian Mbappe or Kareem Benzema, or uh, Erling Holland. That's the ba- that's the race right now. Both I just saw yesterday, so Kylian Mbappe scored a penalty for France. He, him and Holland, uh, Holland scored two goals today for Denmark, so I think Holland's at 56 goals for club and country, and Kylian Mbappe's at 54. That's insane stuff. That's insane. And you know what's crazy? Lionel Messi, if you combine this season's numbers for Kylian Mbappe and Erling Holland, Messi's 91 goals in the calendar year. They don't top his goals combined. They also don't combine talked about his, his combined assist. And this is a club level. This isn't like I know we were talking about club and country when we were talking about the 54, 56 goals. For club level, they're not even at Messi's thing yet. Goals or assists. When Messi had 91 by himself. Like, this is the, like, we're going to have these debates about who's the best right now between Mbappe and Erling Holland. Personally, I think it's Mbappe, but I want him to go to somewhere like Real Madrid or Manchester United. I would love, obviously love to go from, <laughs> have him go to Manchester United, but Real Madrid seems the most likely spot for Kylian Mbappe. But I think people, maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't. I tried not to, but I think we might have taken for granted how great Messi and Ronaldo were. Because now it's done. Messi's in the MLS. He's joined, they're, they're potentially trying to get him to play by July 21st. That's the goal, is to get Lionel Messi playing there on the 21st of July. So we're watching Ronaldo play in the Saudi Pro League, getting benched at a World Cup for Goncalo Ramos, who made his World who made his what was it? His international debut or World Cup debut? <laughs> he scored a hat trick on his World Cup debut. Bench Ronaldo, and then Messi's going to the MLS. Like it's crazy how this time how times change. You got that stuff with the NFL as well. Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets. Tom Brady retires. I saw a graphic the other day that all these quarterbacks on they did feel dirty in this graphic. Good lord, they said NFL and ESPN said this era hits different, and they got Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and Philip Rivers on here. Four, five of the six are holding Super Bowl trophies. Five of the six. Why do they do Philip like this? Why couldn't you just have them like just in their uniforms? Why are you doing Phil like that? I love Phil Rivers. I love Philip Rivers, but man, you're doing him like that. You're doing him like that. That is terrible. That is absolutely terrible. And what else is what else is terrible? I saw this about Jordan Love. He said uh 
happy Father's Day to all Bears fans out there. I think he's got it flipped around. Because the Bears fans should be saying happy Father's Day to him. He's trying to do something cool. It didn't come off as cool. Like, you see a lot of these things where you're trying to come off as cool. Or you're, you know, trying to dig at the fans a little bit. Trying to get under their skin a little bit. And you see this as well with, like, news reporting and stuff. Like, that's another thing you kind of see it in. Like, players do it, but news reporting plays as well. None more famous, in my opinion, than the Boston Globe. And just Boston sports media in general. They're very good. Like, I remember, <laughs> who, who said this? I saw it on social media. They were like, it's Boston's, it's hardest to be a Boston sports fan. It's hard to be a Boston sports fan. Bullshit it is. And I couldn't tell if it was tongue-in-cheek or not, or they were actually being serious. Knowing them, it might be serious. It might be serious. And I'd tell T-Boy that is to his face as well. <laughs> Big babies over in Boston. But there was a report. The reason I bring up the Boston Globe is because there was a report. A report. Ooh, report. A source, quote, close to the Buffalo Bills locker room, says all pro Stephon Diggs is frustrated with his role in the club's offense and his input in play calling per Ben Volan of the Boston Globe. This is one of those things where we are looking at it. Of the, I hope you've seen this meme on Instagram and stuff, but it's like a wealth. Like, what's your source? I made it up. I don't think that source is real. <laughs> I don't think that source is real. I saw it again on this other Fox Sports show. I don't remember what it's called. I think it's the Carton, the Carton Show. Carton Show, because that was the one that we brought up when they said the Broncos were a top five rival of the Kansas City Chiefs for their AFC spot. The Broncos, the team that just put up a whopping 14 points a game, is challenging the Kansas City Chiefs for a playoff. You're right. They can't be much worse than what they were last year. But to say the Bills aren't in a top five, you're just trying to get some stuff there. But he also had a thing today where he basically said the same thing. And he got Keyshawn Johnson, the same guy that said Derek Carr's a top five quarterback in the NFL, say the same thing. Like, these are things that are not, yeah, it, it's not true. It's not true. The Boston Globe is notorious for doing that. Notorious for being bullshit is basically what I'm trying to say here. Like, do I have, do I, what do you want to, how do I want to word this? Do I think there were some rifts going on between the Bills and Diggs? Of course. Of course. But as I said before, I'm on Diggs' side with this. I'm on Diggs' side with this. Like, seeing his reaction against the Bengals game, that's how I was reacting. That's how my dad was reacting. That's how 99% of the Bills fans out there were reacting to that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. That's how almost all of them were reacting. Obviously, there's some that said, we bet the team no matter what. Do that all that kind of stuff. They're still backing the team, but we don't get we don't say anything bad about the team, no matter what. Not saying anything bad about the team. So I I with Diggs. I agree there's some frustrating things on here. And I think there were some things that didn't that he would like to see better. But I don't agree with this quote unquote source <laughs> at all. Especially when it's coming from the Boston freaking globe. I will never a story about the Buffalo Bills, if it says if it's followed up by by from the Boston Globe then I'm not believing it. There's no a source close to the Bills' locker room. So a player. Who's your source close to the Bills' locker room? And this is a big story this offseason because it's all, again, the people that are like, hey, you've got all these people. They look at Diggs. This guy's doing it again. He's storming out of the locker room. He's going to bust up that he's going to separate the team like he did with the Vikings. Oh, my God, he's this terrible cut locker room cancer. He's terrible. I'm for it. 
I'm for it. I see all this. I've seen this stuff on social media the past few days, and it's it's annoying. It's annoying. It, it's frustrating. It's funny. It is kind of funny, but most of all, it's it's just frustrating. And I'm tired of seeing it. So hopefully, it silenced everything this season. He was out of camp. Like like we talked about last week, the Bills didn't have their third day of mandatory camp. So did like three or four other teams. But you know what? Only team got reported about that was the Bills. So it brought up things about, hey, there's a lot of problems going on in Buffalo. There's a lot of things going on there. Oh, man. This is crazy. So here's my... (laughs) Man. But am I worried about the Bills this season? No. If anything, I'm actually more excited for the Bills this season because of the fact everybody's doubting them. That's actually making me more excited. Last year, again, everybody was on the Bills' dick talking about how this team's going to be the world beaters, how they're going to end the, the Bills' long-suffering and get them a Super Bowl championship. That's It was going to be this year or last year. And now, no one's saying that. If anything, people are saying this team's trash. We see top five teams, top five rivals to Chiefs. Bills aren't on there. Why? What would make you change that opinion? This roster, again, is better than what it was last year. That's the, that's the fun part. That's the fun part. This roster is better than what it was at this point last year. This is the best roster in the Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott era. I've said that about five times on this show. Like I'm excited for this season. There's a rough patch later on in the season where you got some tough teams back-to-back-to-back, but it's maneuverable. They can still win the division. Dolphins got better, Packers or Jets got better, Patriots are the Patriots. <laughs> we'll see if they add DeAndre Hopkins. We'll see if that move actually goes through, but we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. I'm excited for football season. We got soccer right now, though. We've got soccer right now, though. So that's all I've got for uh, this Wednesday edition of the Logan Live. So I'll leave you with this. Uh, Tyreek Hill and B. John Robinson gave their list for the top five running backs of all time. Tyreek Hill, top five running back, said Adrian Peterson, Derrick Henry, Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, and Eric Dickerson. Bijan Robinson, the running back, said Barry Sanders, LaDainian Tomlinson, Marshall Falk, Adrian Peterson, and Walter Payton. Notice Emmett Smith's not on there. And you know what? For being the NFL's all-time leading rusher, I don't. it doesn't bother me that he's not on there. Because I really like Bijan Robinson's list. Because I've said, I think Barry Sanders is the greatest running back of all time. But I think you have to have Jim Brown on there. And it's not even like a post-mortem type thing. We've had Jim Brown on the top. Like, Jim Brown's been top three forever. It's been Barry, Walter, and Jim Brown, whatever order you want. But Barry, for me, is number one. And then you can talk about different running backs. I put LT at four. And then, just for the record, you could put Emmett at five. But then I could see arguments for Marshall. I could see arguments for Walter, for Adrian Peterson. I could see arguments for Sayers. I could see arguments for uh, Dickerson. Derrick Henry, I'm not ready to say that. I'm not ready to say that for Henry, but I like Derrick Henry a lot. So I, he's the only player on the Titans I can actually stand. And then I saw another thing, final thing here, a big game boomer. We always like what they post on, on social media. Big brother, little brother, college football. This one's always interesting debate, but there's some on here that are like a little bit more head scratches than other, other, or some that make you go, huh, I guess I never really thought about that. Florida, Florida State being the big brother over Florida, it makes sense, but you don't really think about it like that. At least I didn't, but that's probably true. That's probably true. And then you've got, like, Iowa over Iowa State. Kansas State over Kansas. Interesting one. 
Kentucky over Louisville for football? Interesting one. Then you've got, I don't even know what this other main one is. I've never seen that logo in my life. Then we've got, they got they got St. Thomas for Minnesota. I guess there's really no other schools there. Then you've got Montana State versus Montana. Go uh, uh, roll Bobcats, of course. Nebraska, big brother and little brothers, Nebraska, Nebraska. And Nevada, UNLV, big brother to Nevada. Big brother in New Jersey's Princeton versus Rutgers. FCS program being a big brother to an FBS program is a little bit weird, but you know what we move. Then we've got North Carolina. NC State is the big brother. North Carolina's the little brother. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that one. Then we've got Oregon State, big brother over Oregon. I have never thought that. That was probably the most surprising one on here. I have never once thought Oregon State's been the big brother to Oregon. I understand Oregon, didn't Oregon State beat Oregon last year? I understand that, but that's not how this works. Just because they beat them one year does not mean that's changed. I, Oregon has dominated Oregon State my entire life. Like, there was a few years when Oregon State had the Rodgers twins. We had Quiz Rodgers and then, um, I don't remember the receiver's name, but Quiz Rodgers was running back. That was the only time I remember Oregon State being, and Sean Mannion was there. But the, other than that, I don't really remember Oregon State ever really fielding a legit team, the rival Oregon. Oregon was challenging for, like, natties. And not, not necessarily winning natties, but challenging at least. They had some good teams back in the day. South Carolina Clemson, that's another one. Like, for the recent time, Clemson's been very, very good. But I do remember when South Carolina was really good, like, good with Steve Spurrier. I do remember those times. Like, they, uh, uh, Lattimore was that running back. They played Iowa in the Outback Bowl. Iowa beat them, of course. But they've had some good teams, but I think Clemson would still be big brother there. South South Dakota State versus South Dakota, yeah, that's fair. I'm surprised they put Texas Texas at big bro. I'm actually surprised by that. It's true, but I'm surprised by that. BYU-Utah? Utah, I would consider Utah big brother. I would consider Utah. James Madison over Virginia and Virginia Tech? See, Virginia, I don't know who's big brother there, Virginia or Virginia Tech. Then you've got Marshall over West Virginia. That's an interesting one as well. So there's just some interesting ones. They're nothing like crazy, crazy, like, whoa, 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 whoa. The only one that made me, like, kind of do a double take was Oregon, Oregon State. That's the only one that's really made me, like, oh, that's a that's an interesting one right there. It's an interesting one. But that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we went over our great Berholder rant on Friday, so I didn't want to – I mean, we went over the rant a little bit, but we <laughs> – I would have, I, and I've had a few days to simmer down a little bit. I couldn't do it on Monday or record Sunday. It was Father's Day, and we watched the game. Game went over late, so it was all that stuff. But I do hope you enjoyed. If not, I sincerely apologize. Make sure again you follow Logan Blavich on every single form of social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course follow the Apple Podcast and Spotify account and check out the LoganBlatmanShow.com. This has been Logan Blackman. I will see you all later. Peace.